Please bow your hearts in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, we, um, thinking of those words we just sang, my soul is satisfied in him alone. And God, there are, there are too many times. I think I can say we, I know I can say I. Seek to satisfy my soul with things that are other than you. And there are too many times when my, my view of wholeness my view of success or my view of what's truly valuable is different than what Scripture would say, different than what you would say. And so, Father, as we come to, to rest in your word here for a little while, I pray that where our affections are different than yours, where our values are different than yours, that your Holy Spirit would point that out. I pray that we would have ears to hear and hearts to understand and hearts that would be moved according to your word and your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Imagine with me, if you will, a recent college graduate who has moved back home with his parents. His dad is a self-made man who's worked very, very hard to have land, have a home, have things at the home that can be enjoyed by others. And this recent college graduate with his freshly minted bachelor's degree, his pile of student loans has the opportunity to put said degree to use, to go and find a job, maybe even one that he enjoys, maybe even one related to his degree, and with that job to pay bills and have enough money left over to live a little bit of the life that he so desires. enjoying his hobbies, in this case, video games. Let's also say that three months or so has passed, and said college graduate has done nothing to find a job, but has fully invested himself into video games, aspiring to be, and this is a real thing, a professional gamer, someone who gets paid a lot of money to play with joysticks. I don't get it. But let's, let's say that, that the son of the self-made man has, has given himself over to this and in three months, no pursuit of a job. The following scene might unfold. This is a still from an actual video on YouTube of a dad getting ready to mow over a pile of video games worth hundreds of dollars, if not into the thousands. And, uh, and, and one individual's God being destroyed by a, a nice riding lawnmower. And what's really unfolding here is the clash of two value systems. One value system runs on electricity 
The other runs on, uh, on dinosaur juice. Um, and the dinosaur juice, in this case, wins. But this is the clash of two value systems, two completely different and opposing views of what matters and what defines success. And so many times we read scripture and we have a view of success that we think that, that and our view of success comes from the world and we think is, is really impressive. And scripture has a different view of success. And when the two successes meet, those two definitions create a really big mess. And when this happens, we have a choice. And our choice is very simple. Am I going to submit to what Scripture says? Am I going to submit to this definition of success? Am I going to submit to this definition of what it means to have it all together? Or am I going to resist and do my own thing anyways. This week and next week, Bill, Bill Clark and I are going to, as, as we seek to listen to the Lamb, Bill Clark and I are going to look at a couple passages, just a couple of what Jesus said as it pertains to money and success. And we're not going to answer every question of what Jesus says about wealth, but what I'm really hoping will happen is that we will create pause for us to look deeply at our own lives, look at our own hearts. As I heard a business professor once say, uh, where your checkbook lies, there your heart lies also. So we hope that we will cause pause for self-evaluation and that we will look carefully at our lives and ask, is God glorified by my definition of success and my pursuit? Is God glorified in how I view wealth? This clash of value systems that we're talking about is is seen very clearly in Luke 12. Jesus is teaching, and some guy... I don't know about you, I went to college, I went to seminary with this guy. Some guy raises his hand and asks a question that doesn't end in a question mark. Did any of you go to school with that guy? I hope hope you weren't that guy. This guy just raises his hand and he just starts talking. And And his motivation has to be one of two things. One, he loves the sound of his own voice. Or two... He's just going to state his opinion, pretend it's a question, and hope that Jesus agrees with him. Jesus is teaching, not really even about money or wealth at all, and someone in the crowd, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I imagine Jesus having to stop and be like, where did that come from? Like, why? Like, we're talking about, like, are you going to acknowledge my name before people? And you want to talk about a financial inheritance. So this guy poses a question slash statement to Jesus, and Jesus responds with a parable. And this parable basically tells the guy, 
He should not be concerned about the size or direction of the inheritance or what he will earn, but what will happen when an inheritance comes due. Meaning, what does our wealth mean when we stand before God? And it, and it offers warnings and instructions. So, he, instructions. so here's, here it is. T- teacher, tell my brother to, defy, to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to a man, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? And he said, then Jesus said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of... The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many days, for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In this parable, we have this this rich fool who has a lot that could be considered an inheritance, but Jesus doesn't let the inheritance become the focus. Instead, what, how is this guy going to answer God? Because he's, he's poor towards God, and his abundance is, is not really in his possessions because those don't matter. They can't go to heaven. And the issue isn't who he's going to leave it to. As you keep reading in Luke 12, the issue is, are you ready to go meet God? And in the case of this man, his wealth got in the way. He was more concerned about his barns and his grains and eating and drinking and being merry than he was the God of the universe. And this rich fool is a portrayal of a person who's completely consumed with himself, who's completely consumed with his wealth and his personal kingdom. And there are so many times where this is not too far from us. Our culture says, live for the here and now. Pursue this. Live in this moment. Satisfy your desires as soon as they come available. Pursue the American dream. Get the biggest house with the widest picket fence you can. Live among people who are just like yourself. When asking a really wealthy person or a really successful person, Athlete, how much more do you need to accomplish? The answer is just a little bit. I just need a little bit more. And that's the American financial thirst. I just need a little bit more. And we're completely satisfied with our, with our phone or our TV or our internet speed and, until we see the next commercial. And they have an iPhone 25, and it floats, so you don't even need to get carpal tunnel. 
or we have a lottery worth nearly a billion dollars. And people thinking, well, I haven't been struck by lightning, but maybe I'll win this. And if I only got that $900 million, then all my life would be fine for the rest. I could just check out and relax the rest of my life. And we desire, we, we would so seldom say it in such honesty, but a lot of our culture desires to be this rich fool. To be able to sit back and say, I have all I need for years and years and years. I'm just going to eat, drink, and be merry. With no thought of eternity. This is a, not just an example, this is a sobering example. And the, the sobering example of the rich fool is first of all that, that goals define us. Sobering example of the rich fool is that goals define us. I remember years ago, first time I ever met with a financial advisor, talk about retirement. I was like a year or two out of college, and I'm thinking, man, that's so stinking far away. Um, And he asked me what my goals were, knowing that my goals were a key factor in determining direction or strategy, all that stuff that I'm still not sure I understand. I don't, I don't know about you. Maybe your values, let's think, let's think what your personal values are. Maybe, fa- maybe your values are family. You're all about your spouse. You're all about your kids. You're all about helping your aging parents. Maybe your values are the outdoors. If, if, if you can't have, a, if, if there's a roof over your head, you're not happy. You need to be outside next to a body of water, in a mountain, you know, Hunting, fishing, whatever. Outdoors is your value. Maybe it's fitness. Maybe it's leisure. You need a little white ball to ruin your good walk. Maybe it's music or something else. But whatever your values are, those values determine your goals. Because your goals become vacations. They become concerts. They become that trophy buck. They become a specific time in a race. They, be, they become time away at some other place. And your goals, once they are set, your goals will set your calendar. They'll set your budget. They will set your friends. They will set your definition of success. And ultimately, you are what your goals are. Your goals define you. Like it or not, to a certain degree, your goals set who you are. And if you don't have goals, that also sets who you are. This guy's goal was plenty. His goal was simply plenty. I want plenty of success. I want plenty of wealth. I want plenty of recognition. Oh, how good it would have been to be him and see his gigantic barns going up and the neighbors going by going, wow. That guy had a lot of bushels per acre this year. That guy hit it big in the market. That guy really has his life together. When I lived in Orange City, Orange City is like this disturbingly well-manicured town. Like, it's just, it's freakish how, how well-manicured that town is. And, it, and coming from Omaha and going to school in the hood in Omaha, it really freaked me out. 
And I, I used to joke that the condition of the lawn was the condition of your soul. So if your grass was good, everything assumed everything was fine in your life. And that's kind of true with us. Like if my house looks good, if my car looks okay, if my clothes are clean on Sunday, and I have a smile, like I, I put this great family Christmas card out there, everyone's going to assume things are fine. And this guy, I'm going to have a huge barn, I'm going to fill it full of grain. Everyone's going to say, wow, look at his life. He was defined by physical success. He was displaying his success for all to see. His worth was set by his accrual of goods. He tried to satisfy his soul with himself and his own personal security with his wealth. And for us, like, a lot of times we think it's not about opulence for us. I think oftentimes it starts as this desire for security. I want to be in a safe neighborhood, so I'm going to move to a neighborhood where everyone looks like me and thinks like me. I want to be safe from any form of danger. And so we, we move away from anything that looks like danger. And it sounds good, but it results in what sociologists call white flight. Because the wealth moves out and leaves the city to fend for itself, leaves the inner city to fend for itself. And it's a very subtle and very harmful form of injustice. Or what we really set safe from is we want to be safe from want. And so we hoard our resources in order to be safe from want. And we, we surround ourselves with the material possessions. Because I don't want to want something and not have it. I remember being in Haiti a number of years ago, and one of our translators was talking with one of our students. And the translator said, I'd like to be able to get to the point where I save enough money that I can buy a TV for my house. And then he asked the student, how many TVs do you have in your house? And the student realized there were more TVs in his house than people living there. We need to be careful not to allow our goals that appear good to keep us from following Jesus. Because this, this desire for security has been a threat to God's people for all time. So here's, what, here's what they did in the Old Testament. Our crops, aren't, our crops aren't going well. And we've been praying to God. We're not getting the rain immediately. But Baal, Baal's the God of of fertility. And Asherah is the God of fertility, and that's going to that's help us to not have miscarriages and stillbirths, and that's going to that's help us to make sure we get good crops, so we're going to go worship these other gods while still offering sacrifices to our God, because we're not sure our God's a true God, so we're going to worship as many gods as we can in hope that one of them comes through. And we don't, we don't know that God will protect us from these other countries. So we're going to try and buy them off. We're going, to, we're going to try and make treaties with these other countries because we don't know if God is enough security for us. 
going back to my time in Haiti and what I've learned from the brothers and sisters in Christ there is one of the issues that faces the church in Haiti is, they, is there's a lot of people that say, I know Jesus is powerful, I know Jesus is real, but voodoo has a lot of power to it as well, and I'm not sure which one's ultimately most powerful, so I'm going to try to appease both. And one of the most condemning things I've ever heard from a Haitian brother in Christ is he said, in Haiti, we Christians struggle with voodoo and we know that you guys can relate to this because in America, you struggle with money. And here's what he's saying. In Haiti, there's people who don't know if God is enough, so they practice voodoo. And in America, there's people that don't know if God is enough, so they spend all their time chasing money. And he wasn't wrong. We need to be careful to not allow our goals to keep us from following Jesus or, and or the, other, the other thing we really need to be careful of is that the accomplishment of our goals replacing our need for Jesus. That we become so satisfied that we no longer feel the need for Jesus. We're no longer as desperate for God because we've carved out our own little heaven and we've spent so many years and so much time carving out our own little heaven that we're no longer longing for the kingdom of God. Jesus, before he tells the parable, he says what the parable is exactly about. You need to guard yourself against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I want you in your mind, or maybe even on your notes, to write out that verse, but re- replace the word ones, replace that pronoun with my. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. My life does not consist in the abundance of my possessions. And we need to recognize that because our, that will drive our goals and our goals will define us. But here's the next thing. Here's the next warning is that our goals need theology. My dog is a terrible theologian. And your dog is a terrible theologian too. Here's why my dog is a terrible theologian. My dog thinks that I'm the one she should be most concerned about pleasing. My dog thinks I hold the keys to death and Hades, especially when she chews stuff. Um, My dog thinks that I'm the provider of life itself. My dog thinks I'm the best thing ever and worthy of worship and adoration. For our goals and success to be something that is God-glorifying and of eternal substance, we need to see that at at times those goals need a, a better theology than they have. And sometimes we need to correct the theology of our goals. And as you think of your goals, whether it's financial, whether it's a goal for your family, whether it's a goal for physical fitness, whether it's a goal for something you want to, a bucket list item, whatever that is, we, our lives ultimately serve one of three things. 
They serve ourself. My life is about myself. They serve someone else or some other thing. Whether that's your spouse, whether it's your career, maybe it's your kids. You, maybe it's your, your collection of toys. Whoever has the most toys wins. Or Jehovah God himself. And we need to subject our money, our goals, our success, our families to the question of who is God? They all need this question. Who is the object? Is the object myself? Is the object my own happiness, my own self-satisfaction? Is the object this other person? Is the object, is the object more blank? I, all I need is blank and then I'll be happy. Fill in the blank and you, you can start identifying your idols. Or is the object to bring joy to Jehovah God himself? And we need to be very careful as we ask this question to not self-deceive. To not make ourselves as greater than we are. Or to not make something else as greater than it is. But it is for God. It is for Jehovah. Is Jesus worthy of your career? Is Jesus worthy of your family? Is Jesus worthy of your house? Is Jesus worthy of your second house? Is Jesus worthy of your time in retirement? That maybe that's for God and His glory and His kingdom and His righteousness. Whose currency are you most concerned about? Whose approval are you most concerned about? This guy, he wanted these huge buildings. I want you to know something. I want you to know God loves you. And God loves you more than you will ever understand. That God can be glorified in you. God desires to be glorified in you. God is not impressed by your earthly fame and accomplishments. I don't care if you are worthy of a mug that says world's best boss. Even if you have to buy it yourself. I don't care about that. And God doesn't care about that. God wants you to work, use your energy, work as hard as you can for his glory. But God's not going to pull up and be like, wow, nice car, man. That's, that's really impressive. How many horses does it have in it? God's not going to show up and be like, that's, I mean, I, I planted the Garden of Eden, but that's the best lawn I've ever seen. God's not going to say that. And God's love for you and God being impressed with you are two different things. And our goals need theology. We need to realize who God is. Going back to verse 15, one's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. Seeing God as God and keeping him as a supreme object of our joy, hope, and love and security allows us to live life as it's intended, unencumbered by the world and its desires and its definitions for these things. Because God is better. He is infinitely better than the world's interpretation of wealth. 
We don't need God and the Mega Millions jackpot. We need God. And our goals should be driven towards Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. We also see that success is measured by eternity. As a boy, I was repeatedly and appropriately told to clean my room. And it would usually get to, you can't go outside until your room is clean. You can't go play with your friends this weekend until your room is clean. You can't ride your bike until your room is clean. And so here's what would happen. I'd go into my room, I'd see toys everywhere, and I'd think, oh, those look like fun, and I'd just play. And then when I was done playing, I realized, oh, shoot, I've actually made a bigger mess, and I need to get all of this cleaned up before I can go do that other thing that I forgot I wanted to do that now I remember I want to go do. So I would, like, hurry and scramble and clear, like, a path in my room. Be like, look, I can see carpet. My room is clean. Name it, claim it. Boom, it's done. Testify. I'd say, Dad, room's clean, and he'd come. He'd say, that's not clean. But look, there's carpet. He'd say, yeah, but there's, there's more carpet, like under all that stuff. One time in the course of cleaning my room, I found $10 of change. I mean, it was just everywhere. And so my dad would come, and he'd list off like eight things I needed to do before my room was clean. I'd do like three of them. Dad, my room's clean. Name it, claim it. It's done. And that room's not clean. And ultimately, what was happening is I was, I had this like horrible view of success in terms of a clean room. And I'd say it's done. And then the measure would come in and say that is severely lacking. And this man had this view of success. I'm going to build bigger barns. There are going to be better barns. There going to be phenomenal barns, the shiniest barns you've ever seen. And I have... I have enough stuff for years, so let's just relax, eat, drink, be merry. This is great. Every concern in life is taken care of. And God said, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And that barn means nothing. And we, so I'm, I'm worried we fall into the bad theology and bad view of eternity that the pharaohs had where they build up these pyramids with all their gold and all their possessions thinking, I'm going to take it into the afterlife. And we would never say out loud, we live that way, but I worry that sometimes in our heart of hearts, that's going on. That we, we pursue so much of our own kingdom, we pursue so much of our own bigger, better barns, That we don't think ahead to the day when God said, your soul's required of you tonight, let's talk about this. Because those earthly possessions are not the abundance of your life. And we try to make those the abundance of our life. Look how happy I am. I got this shiny new thing. The abundance of your life is Jesus Christ. Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, who is wor- worthy to receive honor and glory and power and praise forever. Amen. He's the abundance of your life. Knowing God is the abundance of your life. Compared to that, everything else is rubbish. And the guy that started all this out, 
He's listening to Jesus talk about being prepared to stand before him. He goes, hey, Jesus, all that's great and fine, but how about my brother share some of his money with me? And Jesus' answer is, you really shouldn't be concerned about the money. You should be concerned of what eternity is going to say about your success. Because this day is coming for all of us. And, and when we read the Gospels, stepping back from the text just a little bit, in, in general, when you read the Gospels, you need to realize Luke was not just throwing random stories together. Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, crafted this gospel for God's people to read until God returns, until Christ returns. And there's an intentional structure to this. And so right after this, we hear, we hear in verse 21, see it, he goes, uh, this night your souls required of you the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And then he goes into don't be anxious. And we could be tempted to think, oh, and then, then Luke quotes Matthew 6. But it goes into more than that because he says, look at these other things. Don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, what, you'll, what about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food. You know, it's more than clothes. Look how God's cared for his creation. And then he says in verse 30, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, clothing, food, shelter, security, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. And this is, this is right after this same conversation of Jesus warning about this rich fool. He says, Fear not, little flock, for, your, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom Sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail where no thief approaches, where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus could have easily with this parable said, the guy built huge barns full of grain. They caught on fire, he lost everything. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where moth does not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. It would have had a very similar meaning in terms of we do not need to be concerned about our earthly wealth. That is not your abundance of your life. The abundance of your life is heaven. God's kingdom come, God's will be done. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And these are hard words. Jesus says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. It is not outside of God's control. It is not outside of God's rights to tell you to sell stuff and give it away. To sell your home or one of your homes because they are his. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. And one of the great errors of this fool is he thought he had really accomplished something. It was God's soil. It was God's rain. It was God's son that grew his crops. It is not outside of God's control to tell you to liquidate everything. I think the biggest question, though, is does God have your heart so that your heart and your possessions are for his glory? We need a big view of the Lordship of Christ. We need a Colossians 1 view of the Lordship of Christ. As you look at your, as you think of your 401k, as you think of your home, as you think of your vehicles, if you think of your families, as you think of whatever it is that helps you define success and wealth, whatever currency matters to you, whether it's time, whether it's people, whether it's 
the dollar, as you think of the currency that matters to you, and we put that through the scope of Christ's lordship in Colossians 1, that those things were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and they are sustained by Jesus. Your home, your checkbook, your family, your kids, your career was made by Jesus, and it's made for Jesus. Use them as such. We have this backwards view where we spend, this is the American dream, we spend 40, 45, 50 years working and saving so we can have enough to not work again the rest of our life and relax. And I'm not opposed to that view. I'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong. But we we put all that energy in for physical work, for physical wealth, for physical retirement. And I wonder if we have the same view spiritually. Or are you spending your whole life intentionally saving, intentionally building treasure in heaven? So that when eternity comes... Instead of hearing the words, you fool, your soul's required of you tonight. Instead of hearing those words, you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and rest. And I hope that God would orient our hearts so that our concern is His kingdom and His righteousness and our investments are not limited to a volatile market. But our chief investment, our primary investment, the biggest investment of our heart, the biggest investment of our time, our finances, our goals, our values, the biggest investment of that is his kingdom and his righteousness and a treasure that is not subject to sale. A treasure that's not fickle, but a treasure that is eternal. Let's pray. Father God, I I pray that you would root us in the reality that you are Lord. And that sometimes our view of success is different than yours. And Lord, we pray that you would correct that. And God, I pray that you would draw us in to the reality that Jesus is worthy, that he is the abundance of our life. And let us not fall victim to the idolatry that gets peddled around so freely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.